Once I stood in the night with my head bowed low in the darkness as black as could be. And my heart felt alone and I cried, oh Lord, don't hide your face from me. Hold my hand all the way, every hour, every day, from here to the grave, unknown. Take my hand, let me stand where no one stands. So tall with great riches to call my home. But I don't know a thing in this whole wide world that's worse than being alone. Hold my It's wonderful we don't have to stand alone. Amen? Amen. Amen. He said he'd be in us and with us always, and that is truly the case. Well, this past week we began our study on the prerequisite of prayer. Now, we've been doing a series on let's pray, but we started with the prerequisite, not started with, but we've begun this particular lesson on prerequisites of prayer. And last week, uh, we turn to Acts chapter 12, verse 5, that says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, we noted four phrases in that particular passage that unlock the secret of how to pray is to get what you ask for. And we said that we have to pray unto God, first and foremost. And how often do we pray without having any real conscious approach to God in our hearts? How many times do we pray where, you know, uh, we're, we're really missing 
the fact that we're meeting with God. We're having a, 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 a time with his presence, that we're speaking to him directly. We said that's so important, that we should never enter, enter into prayer if, if we're not conscious of the reality of God, if we're not really in his presence, if we don't recognize ourselves with God in heaven, at his throne, and in communication with him particularly and specifically. We said that once we realize this truth, once we get to the place where we understand that we have come into the very presence of Christ, we said then all of a sudden we're going to come to some, we're going to ask the right questions. Instead of asking the question, how much time must I spend in prayer? We're going to start to ask the question, how much time may I spend in prayer without neglecting other privileges and duties of life? Well, that's a big difference. And so we learned that we need to, to, to pray unto God. Uh, that's one of the prerequisites. Also, without ceasing, we said. That word without ceasing we talked about in the passage means stretched, stretched outedly, which the idea is, is stretching it more and more. And still, there's, there's even more to the word than that. It also implies the sense of urgency or intensity in prayer. It's not enough to simply pray. We've got to pray with an element of fervency and urgency. And so we recognize the fact that we are literally uh, in the presence of God, that, that we have an audience with God, and we're not just asking flippantly about something. We're literally fervent, and we're showing a sense of urgency in our prayers, an intensity in our prayers. Then we noted the la- another phrase of the church. And in this particular phrase, we recognize the fact that God particularly delights to answer united prayer. Prayer where two or more are gathered. And yet, we remember, we, we talked about this, it's important, that it's not just a matter of, well, I have a real burden on my heart, so I go to my buddy and I say, will you pray with me about? And out of courtesy, they say, sure. The reality of this is that we both have the same spirit and the desire to see it performed, not just in the sense that I'm going to go along and say, yes, out of kindness or consideration, I'll pray with you. No, my heart is just as burdened. I feel the same sense of urgency. I recognize the need for this to be done and, and the necessary and, and for it to be accomplished. And so I, too, go to God in the same fervency and the same urgency with the same intensity. We said, boy, God delights in that kind of united prayer. And then finally we said for him, that phrase for him. Boy, prayer, prayer that God particularly delights in answering is specific. God emphasizes the need to ask specifically and definitely. You know, he'll answer your prayer as specifically as you ask it. And so, you know, often we're so vague and we're so general But God wants us to be specific. Not only that, but you take a prayer list like we just handed out and you write down a specific prayer, you'll know if God answered it. Specific. So last Sunday morning, we noted that God tells us or speaks to us concerning how to pray so as to get what we ask. Well, this morning, we want to take up the subject of who can pray as to get what they ask. Again, we asked how to pray. And we said, unto God, without ceasing, uh, in united prayer, and specifically. But now who can pray as to get what they ask? Take your Bible, turn over to the book of 1 John, would you? 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. 
I'm going to go ahead and have a word of prayer and then we'll continue. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this time we have together to get into your word and to glean from it and ultimately grow. We need you to illuminate our hearts through your spirit. We recognize and understand that spiritual things are not discerned in our own flesh. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. So we offer ourselves up to you and we ask that you would speak to us through your spirit, that the word of God would go forth. You said it would not return void. We believe that. Be glorified in this service. And Lord, if there be those that are without Jesus Christ, we pray that they would be saved, that they would know Christ himself personally and intimately as Savior and Lord before they leave. Now bless us who do know him. Lord, may we learn who can pray as to get what they ask. And may we, Father, meet the prerequisites. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22 says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, the impression that most people have is that the promises of the word of God are well, at least in regard to answered prayer, are made to everyone. And that everyone can claim these promises. But that's not really the truth. You say, what? Now, wait, that's my point exactly. Most really rarely ever consider the fact that the Word of God is full of promises that are made to specific people or particular nations. And if we misapply those promises, that's very unwise indeed. Let me give you an example. Over in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will shew thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you had the opportunity to read these passages and understand what that is all about prophetically. And so I won't take the time in the service to address it. But the fact is, is that in this particular passage, the Lord is speaking to a particular person, Abram. And he's going to be addressing, if you will, a nation ultimately called Israel. And, and through Abraham and through this nation will come the promised seed. And that would be Jesus Christ. Now, wait a second. He is not making a promise. This is interesting. Many times people will say, well, you know what? Since Israel rejected Jesus Christ... Since Israel turned their back and cried crucify him, the church takes the place of Israel. If that's the case, then this promise applies to the church. And may I say this promise does not apply to the church. It applies to Abraham, it applies to his seed, and it applies to the nation of Israel. But it does not. We as a people cannot take the promises that belong to Abraham and belong to Israel and make them ours as the church. You can't do that. Not only that, but I think about Joshua chapter 1. It says in verse 3 and 4, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. God had already told Moses the same promise. He had given it. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. Talking about the land of Canaan. Talking about that promised land. 
And so we go on and he says, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even into the great river, the river Euphrates, that all the land of the Hittites and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. See, God promised Moses and then he turns around and says or repeats that same promise to Joshua and says, every place that you put the sole of your foot on, every place you trod with your foot will be yours. It'll be given to you. Another place we see is, and and hold on, I'll, I'll combine these two, but think about the marching around Jericho. People talk a lot about, you know, they marched around Jericho once a day for six days, and on the seventh, they marched around seven days. And the walls fell, and they took Jericho. Now, what I find a lot of times is, in, in, in conjunction with these promises, people will look back on this particular promise in Joshua, and they'll look at the passage there as we deal with the walls of Jericho, and they kind of combine them and think, well, you know what then? As a church, as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, I'm going to claim that piece of property over there. I'm going to march around it seven times, and I'm going to walk around that whole property, and my foot has trod on it, and God, I'm holding you to your promise to give us that land. That promise wasn't made to him. It wasn't made to me. It wasn't made to the church. It was made specifically to Moses and Joshua concerning that wall, concerning that land, concerning the promised land. That is this promise that was given to them. Listen, how many times has a pastor marched around a piece of property and he never got it and he was discouraged because somehow he applied that promise to himself or his church? Now, I'm not saying that God won't allow, put that on the heart of a pastor. I promise you this. I marched a lot of times around this property. But I always knew that God doesn't, that's not how it works. I don't just take that promise and apply it to me and say, well, God, guess what? I marched around, so you owe me. Uh Uh-uh. It doesn't apply to me like that. It's specifically given to a couple of guys here and to a nation. So you have to be real careful when it comes to God's promises. Sometimes we apply promises that don't even belong to us, and we get discouraged because we think God hasn't followed through with his promise. Oh, he's followed through. It's just that he wouldn't make it to you. He made it to someone or to a nation or to a group of people specifically. And so God's promises aren't all universal. They're very specific at times. And may I say today that when it comes to this issue of prayer, God has some specific things that he promises or he writes them to specific people. You say, what do you mean? What I'm going to tell you is this. Just because there's a promise, a prayer promise in the Bible doesn't mean that you necessarily are fulfilling the prerequisite that gives you the authority to claim it. You have to, you have to live up to the, the requirement that God places. And then he says, if you will do this, I will do this. It's a conditional promise. Many of God's promises are conditional. Now, we don't like to talk about that because everybody wins a trophy today. Everybody gets everything the same. It doesn't matter if you work hard or you don't. You deserve everything that people that work hard get nowadays. There's an element in our culture, in our society, that says everybody's, everybody has a right to the same privileges. May I tell you that biblically and scripturally, you're going to find when it comes to prayer that God doesn't owe us an answer to prayer until we have first given God what he asks of us. Amen. And that's what we want to look at today because we're wondering and we're so frustrated today as to why is my prayers not being answered? How's come I beg God for this or I ask God for that, but I'm not seeing an answer to my prayer? How's come my prayer journal's this long and I only have one or two check marks? I'd like to see all of them check marked. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, who can pray as to get what they ask for? It, that's the question then. 
And remember, God makes some promises, and we see one of those promises over here in the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. We like to stop right there. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. There it is. I'm claiming it. Wait a second. He goes on to say, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So how can we pray and get what we ask for? Well, first of all, God answers the prayers of those that keep his commandments then. That's the first thing. We're to keep his commandments. How are we supposed to keep his commandments if we don't know them? That's a good question, isn't it? How are we going to keep God's commandments if we don't know them? Well, we can't. That's obvious. We can't keep God's commandments if we don't know what the commandments are. So what we must do in order to know his commandments, we must diligently study God's word then. We must find out what his will is. And you know, by the way, his will is found in the word of God, by the way. You look it up, the will of God, you're going to find that he specifically outlines what the will of God is for your life and mine. Not just for a pastor, not just for the people, but for all believers. Man, you got to dig to find that. you got to find it in the scriptures, but it's there. And then we must do his will every time we find it then. See, to put it all in one sentence, we could say it this way. If we want God to answer our prayers, we must study God's word diligently each day to find out what the will of God is and do that will every time we find it. So now, as a result of that, we touch upon the most common reason why prayers aren't answered then. Those who pray are neglecting the study of the word of God. If you don't know the commandments, you can't keep the commandments. So one of the great reasons why our prayers aren't being answered is because we don't study God's word like we ought to. Or we're not studying it for the particular purpose of finding out what God's will is for us. Oh, we read through the Bible, we study the word maybe, we do a little word study here and there, but it's not really for the express purpose of understanding what God's will for my life is. Or else, we're just simply not doing that will every time we find it. So we study the Bible and we understand what the commandments are. We realize and recognize what his will for our life is. But then on the other hand, we choose not to follow through 100%. See, God demands that we listen to his word before he listens to our prayers. Now again, I know that's not popular teaching and it's not something we like to hear because we want to believe that God just answers prayer because he's obligated to answer prayer. He promised to answer prayer. But I'm telling you, there's a condition on answered prayer. You've got to wonder why our prayers aren't being answered the way we'd like them to be. Could it be that there's something missing? I, I, I contend that indeed there is because this promise of answered prayer throughout the word of God is often conditional. It is not universal. Turn to a familiar promise. Turn to John 15, 9. One of the most remarkable promises in the whole Bible regarding God's answer to prayer is found over here in chapter 15, verse 9. John 15. It's interesting because that's where we find our let's pray theme, by the way, is in John chapter 15. 
we're going to see some of the same words, hear some of the same words that are used in our, our passages that we express to come to the conclusion that we must pray. Notice what he says in John 15, 9. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Notice again this particular passage, and it's a very popular one. Let's face it, uh, it, it reads wonderfully, but hold on. If we're not careful, we read it this way. If ye abide in me, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. But the problem with that is, is that we've omitted a particular statement. We omitted one of the most important clauses in that verse. and So let me read it again. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. Someone may be so inclined to say, well... I abide in Christ because I'm a child of God and I'm in Jesus Christ, so therefore God's obligated to answer my prayers. But the Bible goes on here to say that it's not only that you abide in him, but that his words abide in you. And ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. So the real question isn't really how much are you in the word even, it's how much of the word is in you. Therefore the Lord Jesus, he tells us that it's not only necessary that we abide in him, but that his word abides in us if we're to ask and get what we ask for. If his words abide in us, we must first get them in us. And that means we're going to have to diligently study them. We've already touched on that. But it's not enough to simply get Christ's word in us, as we find. It must abide in us. That is, stay in us. It has to stay there. And there's only one possible way in which God's word can stay in us. And that's by diligently obeying it. What we find in the Bible is that every promise of God to answer our prayers is made to those who diligently study his word that they may know his will and who are always obeying his will every time they find it. I wonder, are you baffled as to why God doesn't give you the answers you ask for? Could it be that the, for the most part you seek to obey him in every area and every aspect of your life? But still, you'd have to admit maybe that there's some particular thing that you're not doing that you know God wished you would. If that's the case, then you have, covered, you have uncovered the very mystery as to why your prayers are not being answered then. If there is something that you know God has clearly outlined in Scripture, made very known to you, and you are choosing to disobey or not, follow through and comply with his word, then, my friend, that is reason why prayers are not being answered then. Is there something in your life that you know doesn't belong there that God has made clear that you need to take steps or you need to, to deal with? Or there's something he wants you to do that you're not doing? May I say that is hindering your prayers from being answered? God is not obligated to answer any prayer by anyone 
except those who comply with his promise and meet the requirement of prerequisites. It's interesting, you could have a child and that child is completely rebellious and disobedient. I wonder if they're in a position where they're self-destructing. They show up at your house and they say, Mom, Dad, I want you to give me money. I need money. Yet you know what they're going to use that money for. I wonder that, will you be a good parent to give them the money they ask for? Or do you have to take a stand and say, I know what's best for my son or my daughter. And you know what the truth is? They're only going to use it for wrong. They're going to use it to harm themselves and others potentially. I'm not going to fulfill that request. How come it is that we can understand that in this life in which we live? But when it comes to God the Father, we think he owes us whether we're obedient or not. May I just encourage you to recognize and realize that there are some prerequisites. That God's prayers are not all universal. They are specific to those who follow them or follow through. So who can pray as to get what they ask for? Well, those who keep his commandments. Number two, God answers the prayers of those who do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Again, our passage is very clear. It says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now on the onset, one might think, well, to do those things that are pleasing in God's sight is obvious just to keep his commandments. And I'll tell you that keeping his commandments definitely pleases the Lord. But but, but I think there's a little more to it. You know, Jesus Christ, the Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. And you know what? He's our example. If he always did those things which pleased him, then we ought to do those things that please him. What we're to understand is that pleasing God is of tremendous importance. It's of great importance. Now, again, it's not enough that we do the things that God specifically commands us to do. Listen to what I'm going to tell you, because this is extremely important. In addition to that, we must do the things that are pleasing in his sight. See, I don't think that God is redundant in his statement here. I believe when he's talking about keeping the commandments and pleasing the Lord, it's an element of two things that are of equal value, that they're both important, but they are slightly different, and they take on a different nuance, and we're going to see here that that is the case. Again, it's not enough that we do the things God specifically commands us to do. In addition, we must do the things that are pleasing in his sight, even though, watch this, he's not commanded us to do them. That's important. See, there are a number of things that it would please God for us to do that he doesn't specifically command us to do. Most have the idea that our only duty as God's children is to do what God specifically tells us to do. Specifically. Thus saith the Lord. And then to leave undone the things that God specifically tells us not to do. So we get the idea that The only thing, our only real duty is to either do what God has commanded us to do 
and not do the things that he hasn't commanded us to do. Those are kind of how we come to this conclusion. But here's the thing. We learn from the Bible about God some things. First of all, he's the creator of the universe. We understand that he is an all-powerful potentate. But you know what else he is? God is our father. Well, that's important right there. You know what? If he's a wise father, then he's going to lay down some rules for the conduct of his children. He's going to do that. He's going to do that because he is absolutely superior in knowledge and he, is, he knows what is wise. He knows what is right. He knows what is good. But those rules aren't going to be many. He's not going to write everything out. He's not going to spell every detail out. And certainly he's not going to be content with his children simply to obey those rules then. See, one of the things that we learn when we raise children is that we address, we deal with attitude, not just action. We can't possibly put, thou shalt not touch the TV, thou shalt not touch the remote control, thou shalt not touch the, the end table with that piece of furniture, thou shalt not touch that water, thou shalt not touch that, that laptop, thou shalt not touch that tablet, thou shalt not touch that phone, thou shalt not touch... You don't, you don't do that to your children. And if you do, guess what, my friend? You are wasting your time. I can't remember all that that I just said, let alone try to remember everything you, you, would, you would list on a list. And then the children could say with all, with all sincerity, well, I didn't disobey you when I did that. And the parent would say, yeah, but you should have known. We look at God sometimes as believers and we think, okay, where does it say not to do it? I mean, that's the mentality sometimes. But see, a wise father is going to lay down some rules for the conduct of their children. I'm talking about humanly speaking. Why? Because we have superior knowledge over our kids. Can I tell you that a three-year-old doesn't know as much about life as I do? Can I tell you a 13-year-old doesn't know as much about life as I do? Can I tell you that an 18-year-old doesn't know as much about life as I do? Young people, recognize your parents have a little experience in this thing called life, and you ought to just simply humble yourself and allow them to lay down rules and outline some uh, parameters so that you can live and be productive in the world you live in. It's important that we understand this. And a wise father will do that. But a wise father and mother will not necessarily outline every single command. They're only going to give certain commands that ultimately bring that child to a place where, and here's where it gets important. where a child finally recognizes and understands what pleases mom and dad. See, a wise father and mother expects their children to get thoroughly acquainted with them, to know who they are, to know what they're about. I tell people all the time, your children should not have to guess or wonder what's going to happen if they break a command or a rule in your home. You ought to be consistent enough that they understand exactly how it's going to go down. But it should be true in other things. They should know who you are. They should know what your likes are, your dislikes. They should understand who you are as a person. They should realize and recognize how far they're permitted to go without you finally saying enough's enough. What pleases you? What displeases you? Those are things that they only understand as they thoroughly get acquainted with you. And why should a father expect his children to get thoroughly acquainted with him? So they know what pleases him instinctively so that they automatically understand and realize what pleases dad, what pleases mom. And when they know what pleases mom and dad, they do it without waiting to be told. 
Again, parents are very wise to lay down a few commands and principles to be followed. That's wise. Because you have superior wisdom and understanding. You know what's best for your children. But we don't always explain every detail to our children when we lay these laws down. As a matter of fact, we don't even necessarily tell them all the whys. Because it's just important that they recognize authority and and obey it. But even more, we seek to raise our children in such a way that they go beyond the rules and that they simply seek to please us. If a parent has gotten to the teen years and their child hasn't learned to just simply please them, my friend, I don't care how many rules and regulations you have on the books, your child's going to end up in a mess. Because you can't possibly recognize and understand every scenario they're going to face and give them a thou shalt not. You can't do it. Because we want our children to learn obedience, yes, but we want them to be keenly aware of what pleases us. See, a child may not be required to take out the trash, but seeing that dad's late getting home from work, he takes it out knowing it will please his father. Mom's preparing her Sunday school lesson, and while she studies, her daughter dries the dishes without being asked, knowing it will please her mama. You say, that don't happen in my home. Well, you better start teaching your kids not just to obey your little rules. You better start helping them understand what it means to please you. They better get a hold of that thing because I promise you when they become a little older, they will care less if they don't care now. Because I promise you the rules and the regulations you set will not keep them in check. It'll be the heart desire to please you that will keep them where they belong. That'll be what'll change the difference when they find themselves in an awkward position and they find themselves tempted with temptation. They'll think, wait a second, this wouldn't please my daddy. This wouldn't please my mama. I'm not going to do it. There's been no thou shalt nots necessarily from them, specifically not to find myself in this spot. But I know being in this spot, it wouldn't please mom or dad if I followed through with this. You better hope they've come to that conclusion on their own. Because if they don't, they're going to be in a mess. A little boy can tell that his mom's having a hard day and without being told he climbs up in her, his mama's lap and reminds her that she's loved. A child approaches mom or dad and without being told says, I love you. There's no law that says you have to climb up in my lap if I'm having a bad day. There's no law you outlined or laid out that says that they have to tell you they love you at a specific time in a specific place, I trust. A child draws a picture, gives it to his mom or dad without being asked. They know it will please mom and daddy. They've seen the response. They know what makes you happy. When mom arrives home with the groceries without being asked, the boys just simply head out to the car and bring them in. A teenager wasn't told what time to be home, but shows up early knowing it will please his mom and dad. A young man helps his dad clean the garage or work on a project without even being told. Why? He knows it's going to please his dad. That's what we're looking for in our life with our children, aren't we? Can I tell you that's what God wants? I mean, that's the spirit. That's the attitude toward our Heavenly Father that compels Him to answer our prayers. The child of God who knows, that not only keeps His commandments, but sincerely seeks to please their Father in Heaven, that's the one who's going to get their prayers answered as they ask. If we always study to do the things that are pleasing in his sight, he will always study to do the things that please us and as a result, grant us our requests. See, most approach the issue by asking this question. 
when it comes to these issues, I'm talking about difficult ones. Sometimes people will say, well, I, don't, I have a tough question, and I, I, I just want to know, preacher. I, I want to know, Sunday school teacher. I want to know, mom and dad. Does God say anywhere in his word, thou shalt not do this or that? Where's it say in the Bible I can't go here or do this? Where's it say I can't dress like that or dress like that? Where's it say I can't think like this or do this or say this or say that? Where's it say I can't watch this or watch that? Where's it say in the Bible I can't have this or have that? That's usually how we approach the Lord in many cases. That's how we approach authority even. We're simply looking for a thou shalt not. But that's not really the question if we're truly loyal to the Lord and truly desire to, to please Him at all costs, we're going to ask this question. Will it please my Father? Will it please God? And before I make a move, I want to know, is this going to please God? It's one thing we look in the Scriptures and we don't see a specific command saying not to or to, to, do, or to, to do it. But the fact is is that God's not just all about the commands. And we get a bad rap sometimes when we lay down standards or rules or regulations, not only in the church but in our homes. And people say, you're just too legalistic, you're just too tough, you're too hard. My friend, it's not just thou shalt nots that we have to be concerned about. We need to be very concerned about pleasing Him. And we got a God who is holy and righteous and He is without sin. My friend, I don't know about you, but when I set the standard and I put in some rules in my home, I guarantee you I did not outline every single rule that I wanted my children to perform. I was hoping at some point they came to a place where they just simply wanted to please Dad. And I know God in heaven can't be much different because we were created in His image and in His likeness. And my friend, I think the Heavenly Father today is looking over His children and He's asking, oh, is there anybody that not only wants to just do what I tell them because they have to do it, but they do what they do for me because they want to please me. And if I find that person, boy, I promise you, your prayers will be answered. God is our Father, and it should be our great desire to please Him as much as we possibly can. I, I believe that's a missing element today in Christianity as a whole. I mean, we really do. I mean, the very ones who are crying and whining about the fact that so many, you know, there's just so many rules and regulations and stealing all our fun in our Christian lives. I wonder how many times we really ask the question Does this please you, God? Does this please you, Lord? this honor you the way it ought to? Do I represent you the way I should? I just want to please you. I want you to be happy with me. I don't care what all my friends think. I don't care even what the establishment thinks. I'm, I, whether, it's, whether someone thinks I'm right or wrong, I just want to please you. That's all that matters to me. Whether it fits into our culture, whether it, it aligns itself with the fads of this day, I don't care if I look like a freak, act like one, sound like one. I don't care what anybody else thinks. What I do care is that I please you. I don't know that that's really our attitude. And someone says, well, I don't think God expects us to be a freak. Well, that's really not the point of the, 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 uh, the, what I was saying. But the fact is, is that if God wanted you to be, would you be? He says, Paul the Apostle says that you're, he's considered a madman. He's so, well, the Bible says we're to be peculiar. Now, I don't think that means walking around with floods up to here and Going around going, hey, how you doing? <laughs> I don't think that's what it's talking about. But I do think 
that it means that we ought to be willing to be what Christ wants us to be, even though it goes in total op, uh, opposition to what the world says we ought to be. Well, I, I, you know, all my friends get the date when they turn 14. Well, when they turn 9 now. Remember, you used to fight about whether it's 16 or not. Now you got little girls going to dances with boys at 9 years old. Now, I don't know why I'm a freak at school because nobody will let me go to a dance. I'm 10 years old. You know, who cares? Parents, can I tell you something? God is not pleased if you let your little daughter go to a dance when she's 10 years old. I promise you that. You say, you don't know that. I do know that. I've read the Bible enough to know his commandments, first of all. And let me tell you something. I know that it don't please God when we're over there encouraging our children to act like the world. I'm not trying to, you know, they say sometimes you're preaching, now you're meddling and all that. I don't mean to meddle, but I'm going to tell you, the world has got a grip on us. If we want our prayers answered, not only must we obey his commands, but we must do those things that are pleasing in his sight. It's not enough to just do the these and thous. We have to be willing to say, I'll, with all my heart, all I want to do is please you, Lord. You, that's, that's who the promise is made to. That's the condition according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we, we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now listen, you don't, you don't, if you don't want your prayers answered, then who cares, right? Honestly, it don't matter. But I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit fed up sometimes in my own life when I don't see God working like he ought to. And you know what? I'm a preacher. But I can promise you this, I'm also a man. And I find myself at times wanting what I want instead of what pleases him. May God help us all to not just be so short-sighted that, well, I'm keeping the commandments. I read my Bible for three minutes today. I prayed for a couple. I'm faithful. God should be answering my prayer. Let's be honest with ourselves about who we are in relationship to God. Let's really, con- con- let's really evaluate our hearts, not just our, even our actions. Because what God's trying to get us to understand is you can have all the actions right. You can be keeping all the thus saith the Lord's. But if in your heart it's not to simply please Him, you're wasting your time. Because God is concerned about your attitude toward Him, your desire, your longing to please Him. I wonder today, is it your greatest desire to please the Lord? I wonder today, if you died this very moment, could you say to the Lord face to face, honestly, Lord, I kept your commandments and I always did those things which I felt pleased you. That was my goal. Maybe today I wonder, could you even say, I know for a fact I'm on my way to heaven even. I have a relationship with the God of heaven. Can I tell you that the Bible teaches us over in the book of Galatians chapter 3 verse 26, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Do you realize before you, come, before you exercise faith in the Lord Jesus, you are not his child? You say, I don't believe it. Well, the Bible just said it. Let me read it again. For ye are all the children of God 
by faith in Christ Jesus. No faith in Christ Jesus, no Father God. Matter of fact, in John chapter 8, he said, you're of your father the devil. He said that to religious leaders, those who literally were trying to keep all the commandments. Can I just encourage you today to recognize the fact that as a human being, you are simply a sinner. And as a sinner, you fall miserably short to God's perfect holy standard. That until you allow Jesus Christ, who was the perfect Lamb of God, who shed his precious, perfect blood for your sin, until you allow him to take that perfect, precious sacrifice and apply it to your account, my friend, you are still bound by your sin and you are forever bound in a place called hell one day. It is time that we recognize that we in and of ourselves are incapable of of honoring God in this flesh. We are incapable of earning his favor in this flesh. We have to die to ourselves. We have to humble ourselves and recognize only Christ alone can forgive us and save us. And we must bow before the holy God of heaven and beg the Lord Jesus to forgive us, save us, and to come into our life. And the moment we trust and receive him, the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Do you know Christ is your savior today? Or are you flirting with hell? Can you confidently say without a doubt, I have a confidence that Christ is mine and I am his? Because until you have that confidence, my friend, more than likely you are not his. The Lord says that he, the, the, the Lord knoweth those that are his. You say, well, I know him. Question, does he know you? I know LeBron James. I guarantee you, I drive over to the house in California now, and I knock on the, well, I wouldn't even be able to get to the door. I'd be at the gate. Who is it? Oh, it's me, man. I know you. Can I tell you, he's not going to let me in. He don't know me. And there's so many that one day are going to get to heaven and say, Lord, Lord, have we not? prophesied in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works? Have we not lived our life trying to, 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 to keep your commandments? And the Bible says he'll say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. You want to know why? Because, see, salvation is not just simply following a set of rules. Salvation is entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to get saved today. Don't die and go to hell. Don't do it. It's not worth it. And there is one prayer for sure that God will hear from you today if you're lost without him. It's a prayer of repentance. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I promise you he'll hear your cry for mercy for forgiveness, and he will enter you, live in you, and give you a home in heaven. But you have to come to him recognizing you have nothing to offer him except your guilt, your shame, and your sin. And he will remove the guilt, the shame, and the sin and make you clean indeed. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for this time we've had together. We ask, Lord, that you would Help us to recognize the prerequisite of prayer when it comes to who and get their prayers answered. Help us to live up to the 
requirement. Help us to truly keep your commandments, but then also do those things which are pleasing in your sight, to go beyond the commands and truly desire to understand what pleases you, digging in your word, studying diligently, striving to get to know you intimately and personally so that we can truly please you with our life. And in doing so, Lord, we know that when we put ourselves in that position, you will be quick to hear and answer our prayers. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help those that are without you. May they not leave here assuming that the feelings they have inside are simply just emotion. May they realize that you, the Holy Ghost of God, your Holy Spirit is speaking to them, drawing them to you. May they settle their soul salvation even today. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for it. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed.